Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Sunday, January 6, 2019. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. Matt Norlander is here with me, and I imagine he's in a bad mood because, as you probably know, his Chicago Bears just lost a playoff game thanks to a doink field goal attempt. Cody Parkey hit the upright. Final seconds. Eagles win 16-15. I believe it was the fifth time this season that Parkey hit an upright. Norlander, how you holding up? Um, You know what? I got to watch the game with my older son, who really has no concept yet <laughs> of what. Listen, to be a fan is awesome. This is the Bears are my one outlet where, you know, I know our audience. So many of them are especially devoted to a particular college basketball team, and the Bears are that outlet for me. It had been eight years since they'd been in a playoff game. The last one they lost was actually even worse than this, but not by much, but it was at home to the Packers when Jay Cutler was not available. People thought he would have been available, and Aaron Rodgers got to the Super Bowl. So that was worse than this, but this is this is brutal. I mean, this is the second worst playoff loss that I can remember with the Bears. I mean, I'm not going to spend 20 minutes on this, but I'll take 15 if you'll give it to me. Um, yeah, man, listen... The Parky stuff is rough, you know. Apparently, he's got a guaranteed contract for next year. I want the man to have a good life, to make a great living, and to be successful. But my God, I, I, I you know, the game ends, and I appreciate all of the uh, the text messages that come flooding into my phone. Parish not included among them. I simply got a "you almost ready," but you did give me a good twenty twenty five minute grace period. I do appreciate. Yeah, I, that. I was gonna. I was, it's just like in a. Like after basketball games, coaches have a cooling off period. I felt like you needed a cooling off period. I, I, I still need one. Um, but no, this this will be a this will be a fun little podcast. But I, I'll, you know, I'll say this: the season was way better than anyone expected. Even when Khalil Mack joined the Bears, people were thinking, okay, maybe eight and eight, nine and seven. Geez, if they're lucky, if they're really super lucky, they'll just barely squeak into the playoffs. Well, they went twelve and four, got a home game, and the thing that really gets me about this team is that they should have won against the Packers in week one, should have beaten the Dolphins, and I went to the Giants game that they lost. The only game they lost that, like, it's like, okay, they deserved to lose it and they were clearly outplayed. They were only outplayed once this season, and that was by the Patriots in Soldier Field. So it's this weird feeling where they were way better than people thought they would be. They were in every single game they played, and they finished the season with 12 wins. They probably should have had a minimum of 15 if you include this game against the Eagles, but... Uh, it's just hard to take in this moment. And then to top it all off, like, first of all, I'll, I'll be dead honest. I thought the field goal was good, like the split second that it was going. Like, I turned to pick up my son in joy just as it was about to connect with the upright. I thought it had cleared that point. And then I hear Al Michaels, and I'm like, what? I'm like, oh, oh, look. Oh, it's going to actually go down like this. So that's surreal. And then they play – as people listening to the podcast might be aware of, uh, you know, I happen to to be on the screen at every Final Four and championship game because I've got a Guster sticker on my laptop, and they play Guster over the Cody Parkey misses montage. Just a completely surreal moment, but I'm doing okay. I'm happy to do the podcast. I know people are waiting on this. Frankly, I, I think some people are damn happy the Bears lost so they could get to experience me just grieving in real time here but whatever, you know. I love me some Cubs, and when, like, your Mets beat my Cubs, that stinks. But the only team that I'm like, 
uh, like my synapses are fused is with the Bears. I'm I'm I just I, I felt they were going to lose and they lose like that. And I don't even want to be cynical or pessimistic about it. But it's it's Nick Foles who's like never lost a game ever when it's been an elimination. Like he's like he's like twenty seven and zero for life. Parish and Philly's got a damn good defense and just you know whatever. Hopefully next year will bring more. But um, ah, it's just so hard to take in the moment. Anyway, I, hi, how you doing? I have in addition to you, I have several friends who are Bears friends, uh, Bears fans. I have, have some couple friends who um, are from Chicago who now live. Um, here in Memphis, so they're Bears fans. I, you know, the Bears are a big national brand, so they have fans uh, in every state. Uh, you know, I think a lot of it has to do, particularly if you're around my age, um, with that 85 team that's just an iconic professional football team. Like, that generated a lot of Bears fans uh, around this country. And so I wanted the Bears to win for you and for my other Bears friends, but also in the moment, because unless I have money on a game, or unless it's like a college football game where I have a real rooting interest because I don't have a favorite NFL team, although I do find myself rooting for the Bears because they drafted my little homie Anthony Miller. Um, I, I always want the kicker to make the kick because I really do think that's the worst feeling in sports. To be a kicker, which is essentially a non-football player, to be a kicker who misses a kick that would have won a game but instead ends a season. Like, at least if you're in a golf tournament, you know, like you're in the Masters and you've got a putt to force, uh, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, you you got to to force an extra hole, a playoff. Like if you miss it, it's just like you missed it for you. Right. You don't feel like you let anybody down other than you and perhaps your caddy and maybe your father or whatever. But you, you don't let down an entire like fan base of a franchise that's been there for, uh, you know, a century. You don't let down you know, 50 co-workers, all of whom are bigger than you. I, I really do think it's like the worst situation you could possibly be in. And so I feel sick for the guy. Like, I, I don't know Cody Parkey, obviously, but like I really wanted him to make that kick just because now you got to live the rest of your life. And perhaps he's just wired in a way, maybe all kickers are, most kickers are, where they, they learn to deal with that. It's part of the job. But I don't know that I could deal with that. You live the rest of your life known as that guy. And you probably never get over it. You probably never uh, redeem yourself in a professional way. It just seems like a miserable, miserable existence. It is a unique position in sports. There's the, the closest thing in basketball, obviously, is if you're at the foul line to win a game. And we've seen infamous moments of that um Darius Washington of hey look at I'm working in the Memphis reference that's how thrown I am right now seven minutes into a podcast uh back in conference USA tournament back in the day but even that's not the same because usually you're good enough to be at the line to begin with and yeah if you're an NFL kicker you're a good kicker but um you're only you're you're a specialized player you're just you're you're in for that very uh, little yet huge moment but the game is called football and that's why so aptly the game ends with kicks i actually really like that aspect of football i like that it's got this weird bizarre dynamic to it where you need to have someone that's able to put uh an oblong ball through an upright of varying distances but and this also and we will not make this a bears podcast but the thing that will sting about this and for the Bears fans that cross over to College Hoops fans listening to this, we'll, I would think most of will agree. The Bears cut Robbie Gold, who's the best kicker in franchise history, two years ago. And when that happened, 
a lot of people were confused by it. And you fast forward two years, and you know who knows? Maybe Robbie Gold misses the same kick, but uh, there just wasn't a ton of confidence. Parkey had been you know inconsistent all season, and you hate when your team's game comes down to that. You can make the argument the Bears just shouldn't have been in that kind of game to begin with, but both defenses were really really good and. So onward we go. Hopefully they can replicate that. But, man, 12 wins in a season, like, those don't come easy. Those, that's just, you know, let's hear the Patriots. And even the Patriots don't win 12 in a year. So um, it, was, uh, it was fun while it lasted. And my, now I need to uh, kind of get my three-year-old to understand that the Bears aren't going to be – they're not going to be on television next week, son. This isn't going to happen again until September. So uh, I guess go Rams. I have no idea. That's funny that you mentioned that because it is fun when you have a son who's old enough to take interest in the things that you take interest in, but still don't quite grasp the entire concept. So my middle son has been that for me. He just turned five last month, um, but you know, around the age of three or so, he you know that was something that we did. We sat and watched Mets games every summer night. Now we wouldn't just do that. We'd also play with Legos or action figures or color or whatever but um in, in the summer in my home whether we're out in the backyard or in the ho- in inside the house uh Mets games are like sort of our backdrop every night like it, it's just what you know uh, you know we're cooking we're cleaning we're playing Mets games on TV and I remember like when the when the season's over like I'm watching postseason baseball and he's like daddy are the uh the Mets playing tonight and I said, no, I said, uh, Oliver, you're going to have to understand at some point that the Mets, the, the Mets don't play in the postseason. Like, this is not something that they normally do. That one time they did it a few years ago when you were very young, that was just like a random thing that might not ever happen again in your entire lifetime. The Mets are done. I'll let you know, I'll, I'll let you know when they play again, but it will not be till next year. And then the next night it would be a baseball game on. Dad, are the Mets playing tonight? No, son, the Mets don't. The, it is, it's October, son. Mets don't play in October. You're going to learn this over your lifetime. So it is both fun and um, and then you start to wonder, why, why, do, I, why do I tie my child to right, this life of uh, fan misery? Because being a Bears fan, kind of like being a Mets fan, um, we got off to good starts in had, the, in had the a, mid-80s. Had a, had a had great a, run in the mid-80s. Yeah, there's no <laughs> doubt about it. But, yeah, it's an awesome had, bonding experience. But, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so was that 85 team? I guess the Super Bowl was actually in 86, right? Yes, yeah, so the Bears and Mets did win championships in the same calendar year, but they were different seasons. And actually, right. people people forget this, but uh, in many ways, the Bears didn't win the Super Bowl, obviously, in the 86 season going into 87, but uh, uh, the Bears' defense in 86 was just as good if, and statistically even better in some ways. But yes, our, our, uh, our most uh, coveted teams did actually win championships the same year. I never put two and two together with that, but that was also the last time each of our teams won a championship. <laughs> so we're, we're going on almost 40 years here, buddy. I know it's uh, but those are both iconic teams, yeah. you know, like everybody remembers 85 Bears. Everybody remembers 86 Mets. You might not remember like 82, whatever, or or 91, whatever. But 85 Bears is a super famous, well-known team. 86 Mets, a super famous, well-known team. And uh, it's been all downhill uh, ever since. Anyway, my condolences to you. And to all Bears fans uh, out there, maybe you'll get them next year. So it was an eventful week uh, end in college uh, basketball, mostly because Nevada got murdered uh, down at New Mexico. Um, the Wolfpack entered with a perfect 14-0 record. They were 14-point favorites in the game. And then they lose 85-58 to a New Mexico team that was 7-6 and six with losses to North Texas and Penn. And the Lobos were ranked 100 or, or 184th 
at Kempom before tip-off. Nevada lost by 27 points despite being a 14-point favorite. It's a 41-point swing. You don't see that every day. And so now it's settled. Nevada's not going to go undefeated. I know you weren't rooting against them, but I also know you're glad we don't have to talk about Nevada possibly going undefeated anymore. The only teams that still have a chance to do it are Virginia, Michigan, and Kelvin Sampson's Houston Cougars. Well, Parrish, this is why, and I say jokingly, but I also say it seriously, where – you know, I almost say into a new calendar year, but I really mean like 70% through a season should you only really begin to entertain whether a team can run the regular season table and if you even want to extend that into their conference tournament. Nevada, I wrote a column after they lost. Um, he, my takeaways were, th- were this. One, it was insane how much more likely, and this speaks to how good they are and how bad their league is compared to what Virginia, Michigan, and Houston all face, obviously, but... Um, all those three teams are still at less than 1%. They're at 0.0, uh, 0.1 or 0.2% to run the regular season table. Okay, that's that's still crazy low and speaks to how tough it is to run the table because we're about at the halfway point of the regular season. Nevada was almost at 18%, which is incredible. And obviously, if you ran, if you did the 10,000 simulations game, it would be overwhelming the amount of times that Nevada, whenever it did, if it did, did it more frequently than the other three. Um so even with all of that, now that it hasn't happened, this is why when people are, you know, are sometimes quick to talk about, and this year it was Duke or whatever, when we get to, you know, what week into December, it's just, it just doesn't happen that often. We've actually been lucky and blessed in the past half decade in getting Gonzaga making a push, Wichita State and Kentucky. Those were great stories. Um, but if you maybe pick the over-under of 0.5 times we see this in the next five years, up to even just the conference tournament, I would take the under. I don't think in the next five years it's likely we'll have one team run the table at the end of the regular season. Now, the thing this is problematic for with Nevada is this. I still think this is a top-10 team. I have a lot of confidence in them, and we'll see how the rest of the season plays out, Parrish. Um, But I'm not eliminating them from my Final Four consideration because they lost this game. But the fact that they lost it the way that they did against uh, a New Mexico team that I don't think will wind up qualifying for the NIT, against a New Mexico team that has, what, seven wins against Division One competition? Um, it's such a bad loss in a high-profile spot. And Nevada, because its league is so bad, the only teams in the net ranking top 25 that don't have quad one wins right now are Nevada and, believe it or not, Auburn. Auburn's going to have plenty of opportunities to, to capture those. Nevada will have one when it gets to Utah State. And maybe one other team bumps up in... Uh, the Mountain West where that road game is going to qualify, but it won't have a ton, basically. And so when we get to the end of the regular season, throw in the conference tournament if you want, that's fine. What you're going to see is Nevada will still be decent in quad two opportunities, but when it's fighting for the one, two, or the three line, if it loses another couple of games, it's going to be really lopsided, and so that could hurt the the Wolfpack seeding. And I am still a very firm believer, and yes, matchups mean a ton, but empirically, the data shows the better the seed, the better chance you have going deeper because that's usually the better team you are, but it's also because of the competition that you face. So Nevada is kind of up against it, and I do think, regardless of what happens here, it's going to be fascinating to see how many losses they end up with. And I'll still stick pairs with what we said on our either the, the previous podcast or the one before that. I still think they're going to be a three-loss team max. But even if they're just a three-loss team max, you would say sitting here right now, okay, that probably means Nevada's going to be in good shape to get a two 
maybe even a three. Well, I wouldn't go so far with that just yet because if you've got a, little, a lot of other teams in power leagues that are able to play up well, and I'm talking everyone from Duke to Michigan, um, Virginia, Houston if it does really well, Michigan State, on down the line, just keep going. Kansas, Virginia Tech, the on and on and on. Nevada could get bumped even further, so I think it's an interesting test in what is the first season of the net rankings and how the committee views this team. No, I mean, that's the problem now for Nevada is that we know that it's going to have at least one bad loss and not just a bad loss to a bad team, but a lopsided loss to a bad team. And the league does them no favors in the sense that they're not going to have, you know, many opportunities to, to stack quality wins. So on Selection Sunday, just like you said, if the, you know they could be sitting there with only two or three losses, but they're not going to have the, the type of wins that the Selection Committee usually respects. And so they will probably, and this happens every once in a while, you'll see them at a certain place in the AP poll because ultimately this is the way AP poll uh, voters do it. You know, if they keep winning going forward, they'll keep going up in the rankings. So they could finish the season, I don't know, sixth, fifth, fourth and yet probably will not get a seed on selection sunday that that correlates with uh with that either way uh like i said we're down to uh, just three undefeated teams so let me ask you this and i know your answer previously was virginia i want to know if you're sticking with it uh of the three teams that are still undefeated which one do you think will last the longest um it's relying on the schedule I've got the schedules right in front of me. Just read me off Houston's next four games. Okay. They're actually – I mean, it's all relative. You know, this isn't an ACC schedule. It's a AC schedule. But uh, they are at Temple on Wednesday. That's losable. Mm-hmm. Then they're home against Wichita State on Saturday. Wichita State's not good, so that shouldn't be too difficult. Then they're at SMU on January 16th and at USF on January 19th. Three of the next four road games. Yeah, Houston's going to drop one of those. I will still... Um... Virginia's schedule is at BC on Wednesday. Should win. At Clemson on Saturday. Home against Virginia Tech on January yeah. 15th. At Duke on January 19th. Michigan's schedule, uh, along the same range of dates, is at Illinois on Thursday. Home against Northwestern on Sunday. At Wisconsin on January 19th. I think I'd probably go Michigan is going to be the last team uh, to lose a game this season. How about, I don't mean to split your uh, question here, but I'll say Michigan and Virginia, it's the same day. I thought about that. It could definitely be the same day. Virginia at Gen- Duke. And 19th. Then, yeah. Yep, January 19th. Virginia at, at Duke. Uh, reasonable to say that, the, that it would lose that game. And then I think Michigan is most likely to not lose until the 19th when it's got that game at Wisconsin. So my, I, I, will, I will officially vote for a split, but if you are making me say one way or the other, uh, I would just barely lean Michigan because I actually I, – uh, Virginia's just damn good. They, you know, if, if Florida State pressed the Virginia walk-ons and got like 14 points in garbage time, which I didn't understand, but whatever. The point is, if Virginia didn't want to let a top-10 team in the country get to 40 points, it would not have. They, uh, they, they are incredible at this point, and uh, they have already received number one votes in the AP poll. That will continue to happen on Monday, and it is, uh, it is just really impressive. We'll probably get more to this as Virginia plays more relevant opponents, but. The program has just not lost a beat after what was obviously a history-making loss last March. Yeah, if you were to ask me who's the better team, I'm, I might say who's the best team of this group. I might say Virginia is the best team of this group, although you know Michigan is just mauling everybody. 
uh, beat Indiana earlier on Sunday by by double digits. Uh, but I just think simply it's going to be easier for Michigan to win at Wisconsin, not to mention at Illinois and at home against Northwestern. It's going to be easier for Michigan to win at Wisconsin than it is for Virginia to win at Duke. Like Virginia will probably be about a four, five, six point underdog at Duke, whereas Michigan will basically be in a coin flip situation uh, at Wisconsin. So I'll go Michigan will be the last team uh, to be undefeated in this season. But no, before you ask, I do not think that uh, – that Michigan is going to go undefeated. Before we go any further, uh, let me tell you about SeatGeek. Buying tickets online can be complicated, but it doesn't have to be. Not with SeatGeek. And that's because SeatGeek uh, searches multiple ticket sites for you. That way you know you're getting the best prices, best seats, best value always. And if you use SeatGeek, make sure you use the promo code COLLEGEBB. That's COLLEGEBB. You're going to get $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. When you get to SeatGeek, it's simple stuff. You just type what you're looking for into the search bar. Three clicks later, you're buying tickets. For instance, the wife and I are going to Las Vegas for my birthday later this month. She says she wants to go see Lady Gaga's show at the MGM. I told her I'd also like to see Lady Gaga's show at the MGM. So I jumped on SeatGeek, typed in Lady Gaga, hit enter, and immediately went, Jesus Christ, this is going to be expensive. It's not cheap to see Lady Gaga in uh, Las Vegas, but SeatGeek was my best option to get great seats at the best price. And when I made the purchase, I had the tickets because every purchase made through SeatGeek is fully guaranteed. So next time you need tickets to anything, basketball games, football games, Broadway shows, Lady Gaga, whatever, just open that SeatGeek app on your phone and get after it. And don't forget, use the promo code COLLEGEBB. That's promo code COLLEGEBB to get 10 bucks off your first SeatGeek purchase at SeatGeek. Life's an event. We have tickets. Nevada wasn't the only top 10 team that lost to an unranked opponent on Saturday. Kansas also went down. Lost at Iowa State 77-60. So Norlander's prediction that the Cyclones will finish second in the Big 12 looking good right now. Hell, um, they might finish first. ISU is now 12-2 overall, 2-0 in the Big 12. The losses came to Arizona and Maui and at Iowa. But it should be noted that Iowa State was shorthanded in those games. Linda Wigington had been out most of this season. He missed games 2 through 10, sideline with a foot issue, but he's back now. Didn't play well against Kansas, but he did play. Meantime, and this is the big news, KU center Yudoka Azabuki did not play against Iowa State. Now, Sunday night, Bill Self announced that Doak needs season-ending hand surgery. Tore a ligament in his right hand during Friday's practice. Now, the initial x-rays did not show the torn ligament, but he had an MRI on Sunday morning. And it did show the torn ligament done for the season for the second time in three seasons. He only played 11 games as a freshman because he tore a ligament in his left hand. Will only play nine games this season. First because of a sprained ankle. Now because of a torn ligament in his right hand. Norlander, how big of a deal is this for Kansas? It's significant because I had Kansas winning the national championship as my preseason pick. I'm going to walk off that now. I think Yudoka Asabuki is that important of a player for Kansas, and I know that Dietrich Lawson has been awesome. I think he will continue to be awesome and gets even more valuable. Kansas is still capable. I want to be clear here. Kansas, with its roster and its talent, is still capable of winning the national championship. That's not up for debate. There have been less talented teams by a long shot that have won the championship. I just don't... I do not see Kansas as a top five most likely team to win it all. And I say that and will maintain that even if it does what I expect it to do. And that's win the Big 12 again because that is state law there. I'm also curious if there are are any listeners who by chance grew up in the Illinois, greater Chicago area, attended Kansas and are 
are experiencing just a terrible Sunday and a terrible weekend in that you root for the Bears and then your favorite team loses to Iowa State and you lose your starting center. I have serious condolences to you if by chance that uh, those paths cross with any of our listeners. Azubuki being out is also a little bit of surprise. And this, by the way, comes down with like two minutes to go in the Bears game. It was uh, There was a whole bunch of weird stuff. That and then Thibodeau gets fired and all this stuff is happening and the world's just on fire there. I when the game started with KU at ISU and they announced shortly before the tip that Azabuki didn't have a broken bone in his body when they when they brought back the the X-ray, um, my understanding was that okay, so it might just be a little bit like a week or two, but things are going to be okay. And then you know, I, it, amid everything that was happening on Sunday, I don't know if there was any inclination of this or any buzz about this at all. But this this arrived like. I don't, I don't know where it perished. I just I didn't even think that this was going to be a possibility. So this is significant news. Well, I mean, if you go back to Bill Self's statement okay. uh, before the Iowa State game, it almost sounded like Bill was saying, like, listen, the our trainers think it's fine. Their X-Rows say it's fine. Um, but, you know, Doak, you know, doesn't feel comfortable with it. And we understand, given what he's gone through before. It almost sounded like if he if he wanted to play or was willing to play through the pain, he could play. So to go from that, they were like, he won't be out long. So to go from that to done for the season in 24 hours, yeah, it was a little surprising, I think, even to Bill Self. I guess you're probably right, Parrish, but here's my question for you. Now, I know you dropped Kansas in light of its loss Saturday and Sunday in your rankings. Curious, and for some, you'll get, they'll get a heads up on this before they actually read your top 25-1 and one on Monday. If you will then preemptively try and rank Kansas without Doak, or if you'll still keep him there. So that's my, 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 that's my 1A, but my 1B to you is this. Uh, are you willing to say that without Azubuki, and we still don't know the situation with DeSouza, are you willing to say that Texas Tech, you know, top defensive team in the country, Iowa State, which is, looks like it's really rounding into a really good opponent as well. Uh, could at the very least, are you at least putting it out there that you think it's a decent chance they can even match Kansas at season's end, top of the standings in the league? Oh, sure. I mean, you know, at this point, Texas, you know, if you go to Ken Palm, and this is with Doak factoring in, um, it was projected to be a three-way tie. Three teams going 12-6 and six to finish first in the Big 12, Kansas, Texas Tech, Iowa State. You Now you take um, the starting center, who's the third-leading scorer, second-leading rebounder off of the team for the rest of the season. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I don't want to be hyperbolic here and act like this is the most dangerous situation Kansas has ever been in in this 14-year run of Big 12 titles, but – uh, yeah, I mean, they're, they're up against it now because here's the truth. Um, I, I think Diedrich Lawson is their best player. I think Doak might be the most important. Uh, they're 9-0 and with him in the lineup this season. They're just 3-2 and without him. And then they struggled also against New Mexico State in Kansas City without him. Struggled also with Villanova at home without him. So it doesn't mean that they can't be good without him because they, they're going to have to be. But they haven't been good without him, and I think that's problematic. Yeah, it is. Um, now, I'll also mention this because I think Kansas fans are, are probably uh, gripping just a little bit right now. Given Self's acumen as a coach and given the talent they still have, Quentin Grimes ironically had one of his three best games of the season in the loss at Iowa State. But if you can get that out of Grimes more consistently, that's a big step forward. And I, I trust Self to adjust accordingly. I don't think the floor is going to come through on Kansas. I still think this is going to be a formidable 
I still think it'll be a top ten team personally. Um, but the, there, you know, there there can be a gap and, and and a noticeable one between being a top ten team in college basketball and being at the table of legitimate national title front runners. I am not willing to say now that Kansas is one of those teams always willing to be wrong and am often wrong and and we'll we'll say so on this podcast but I have to uh, I have to take a step back because of the reasons you just mentioned. Uh Kentucky lost again on Saturday. We're going to talk about that momentarily, but first check this out. Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. So, like I said, Kentucky lost again Saturday. Lost 77-75 to an Alabama team that had previously lost to Northeastern and Georgia State. Tyler Hero had a pretty good look at the buzzer to win it, but he missed it. Wildcats actually missed 13 of their 18 three-point attempts. Got only uh, 15 points from beyond the arc. Alabama got 30 points from beyond the arc, so that was that. Norlander, um, you wrote about this. What was your main takeaway from Kentucky dropping uh, to 10-3 and overall and just 2-3? and against top 100 Kimpom teams. My main takeaway was something that we had mentioned previously in that the loss is not encouraging, but the Auburn-Mississippi-State-Kansas stretch later this month, and Kansas will have to go to Rupp Arena for that game three a little less than three weeks from now. To me, that's the, that's the real chunk that Kentucky fans should be concerned with. Now, you don't want to lose games before then that are, uh, that are unreasonable. Obviously, that could exacerbate things. Uh, for Bama, good for them because they got the best one of the season, and you know, now maybe there'll be a factor in the SEC can can play their way into the NCAA tournament picture. They've got the talent to do so. Um, but Kentucky, they didn't, they did not have enough down low, struggled with uh, some of Alabama's physicality. But whereas I, I, I try not to, uh, and I know Kentucky fans, they, they do very much live and die with their team in a uh, game by game. And that's totally understandable. Um, this one, I, I just I'm I'm not pushing any sort of panic button. Let's just see what they grow into over the next few weeks. You would have liked if you were a Kentucky fan to see this team be able to handle itself well after your two best wins of the season and get a good one to start the the SEC uh, slate. By the way, this is only the second time in ten seasons that Kentucky has dropped its opener in league play under John Calipari. So normally it doesn't go down like this. But I'm I'm not really fretting. How how many spots did you did you bump UK after this loss in your rankings? Um, significantly down because at some point you just gotta, I mean, the resume is the resume. They're two and three against top 100 teams, which means they're basically two and three against good teams. That's what it means. They're two and three against good teams. And I, you know, you start looking at the other teams that I had behind them before they took this loss and it's just, the resume is not, not as good. And so I don't know if I've got them 24 or 25, but I've got them around 24 or 25. I dropped them below Seton Hall. Then Seton Hall, of course, goes out and loses to DePaul. So this will inevitably happen Monday. Just get into my Twitter mentions. You'll see it. I, I've been ranking teams daily for years. Years. That means every day. It updates every day. And so what will happen now is that Seton Hall lost will, dro- that Seton Hall lost will drop Seton Hall out. 
So wherever I've got Kentucky now, they'll just they'll be one spot higher tomorrow, simply because it's like Seton Hall dropped out, and then you just move Kentucky up. And so I people will be tweeting me nonstop going, Kentucky loses to Alabama and they move up a spot. Every Monday. Every single Monday. <sighs> Their daily rankings. Kentucky did not move up a spot after losing to Alabama. Kentucky dropped several spots after losing to Alabama. And then the next day, Seton Hall lost. So then Kentucky moved up a spot because Seton Hall dropped out. It's not complicated. I don't know why people think it's so complicated. Yeah, I don't know. I was just thinking about how Khalil Mack got put in motion on a two-point conversion and they didn't throw it to him. That dude kicked that ball right off that post. But you know what? And I'll, and we'll get back to the hoops here. Um, I I trust and hope that <laughs> like we can be frustrated with the action, but uh, hope like he got booed walking off the field, and apparently he was at his locker ready for the media, which is a stand up move. You're a pro, answer the questions, and and we move on. Uh, anyway, we were talking <laughs> we were ta- talking about Kentucky, Alabama. Yeah, let me uh point something out. Alabama, I mentioned earlier, shot ten of twenty three from three-point range against Kentucky. So that's 43.5%. And that's been a, a trend uh, for the Wildcats this season. Everybody shoots well against them. Uh, UK's opponents are shooting um, 38.4% from beyond the arc against Kentucky. So Kentucky's three-point defense ranks 325th nationally. But in the three losses, um, you know, it, it's every team shot at least 42%. Now, Duke was 12 of 26, that's 46.2%. Seton Hall was 11 of 26, that's 42.3%. Alabama was 10 of 3, 43.5%. I don't want to get too basketball coachy here, but like what 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 prevents a team from guarding the three-point line, particularly a team with good athletes? I I that's just a philosophical question that I'm not nearly mentally capable of answering right now but it is interesting how certain coaches um are more consistent with that than others now not always there's actually a theory out there as well that um defending the three-point shot uh to the rate where you can prevent teams from making it is um a little bit out of your hands in the in the macro uh but at the same time virginia does it better than anyone so um i think there's some to that and some some to scheme overall but it is fascinating if you've got really good athletes, um, particularly at the college level when you can dominate other teams with less talented athletes and, frankly, just players who aren't as big, strong, and capable, um, that you don't succeed more consistently. And uh, that certainly is a, an issue with Kentucky right now. Yeah. Um, you know, again, teams are shooting 38.4% against them on the season. But in the three losses, it jumps up to 44%. Duke, Seton Hall, Alabama combined to shoot 44% from three uh, against Kentucky. And so Kentucky is now um, 10 and three overall, uh, just two and three against top 100 Ken Palm teams. One last thing from the weekend, um, and that's uh, on Virginia Tech. They improved to 13 and one with a 77 66 win over Boston College. They've beaten Purdue. 
They've beaten Washington. They've beaten Notre Dame. Own loss, 63-62 road loss at Penn State. And they've done all this without Chris Clark. He played 24.6 minutes per game last season. Hasn't played a minute this season because of a suspension. And Buzz Williams, by the way, confirmed this weekend Chris Clark will not play at all this season. It's essentially going to be a, a redshirt season. So the Hokies basically have eight players now, the best of whom is uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker. Sneaky All-American candidate. He's averaging 18.8 points, 4.2 rebounds, 3.4 assists per game, shooting 47.2% from three-point range. So he basically shoots it like he's playing Kentucky every time out. Vincent on Twitter asked if we could discuss Virginia Tech because I don't think we've mentioned them barely at all, if at all, this entire season. I told Vincent we would because on Friday's podcast, um, I said Florida State was probably the least talked about top 10 team in America. On second thought, it might really be Virginia Tech. Have you thought about Virginia Tech even one time this season? <laughs> yeah, I've thought about Virginia Tech at least 14 times this season, Parrish. But okay. okay. Now, I'm, not, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just, I'm just letting you know <laughs> where my bizarre brain sometimes floats off to. And I think that this is – one reason I've thought about it is Virginia Tech uh, this season – like legitimately has the best offense in the history of the program. Like, you know, before there was even advanced metrics and Ken Palm and all that stuff, like the Hokies just didn't have a, a team capable of scoring like this because uh, there wasn't uh, a three-point line. There weren't as many good three-point shooters. They didn't have athletes like this. So Buzz Williams has commanded um, a renaissance on offense for this program. And when you think Virginia Tech, you don't necessarily think like amazing offenses necessarily, but this team is very much that and only has one loss, one point on the road at Penn State. Not a terrible loss, not not a not a like super awesome loss either. But um, you know, two points away from still being undefeated, and now gets Georgia Tech on the road Wednesday. See, you don't want to miss mess up that one. Like they should win that game. But what follows that? Right, got a ways to, we got a ways to go before we get there, because it's not until January fifteenth. But um, it would be great if Virginia didn't have a loss on January 15th and Virginia Tech was able to beat Georgia Tech because you'd have uh, Vatek at UVA and they would be, what, a combined like 17, 18, and 1 at that point. So, no, they're due. And uh, Alexander Walker was a really good freshman, has become an even better sophomore. This team could be even better with because it doesn't have Landers Nolly either. Um, he has not been ruled eligible by the NCAA. And <laughs> Bill Buzz Williams, by the way, also said he will not play this season yes and uh don't have to like slip down the rabbit hole of all that stuff but like you know he, he could easily have a case of, of being eligible but he won't be so virginia tech for as good as it is is now missing two very critical players you know down the road maybe that uh is a problem but overall not to this point team looks good and it hasn't had its moment yet you mentioned they don't uh, get talked about a lot i agree they don't um the virginia game will be that moment it's going to be tough to win there but if you do oh then forget about it that uh that will completely change the way that uh the Hokies are viewed to back up your points on virginia tech's offense uh fourth in offensive efficiency first in effective field goal percentage uh, they're shooting 44.2% from three-point range. That ranks second in the country. Shooting 56.9% from two-point range. That ranks 22nd in the country. So uh, they're just rock solid inside the arc, outside the arc. Um, really, really good basketball team that probably hasn't got the attention that um, it deserves uh, so far this season because they don't have that big signature win. Um, they beat Purdue on a neutral court, but you know, that was on an NFL Sunday, whatever. And then since then, it's just been like, you know, Washington is 
maybe the best team in the Pac-12, but still not great. Uh, Notre Dame's down. Uh, you know, Boston College is Boston College. So the first real opportunity they'll have to go get that big, big win, like you said, January 15th at Virginia, and there's a decent chance that Virginia's undefeated and Virginia Tech is a one-loss team um, at that point. Um, looking ahead, uh, there's nothing of note on Monday because of the Alabama-Clemson National Championship game in college football. But on Tuesday, we do get North Carolina at North Carolina State. Now, I have NC State ranked 10th in the top 25 and one. I got North Carolina ranked 16th, and Kevin Keats has got a another surprisingly good team. You know, last season, NC State started at 109th at Kenpon, finished 46. It's the only team in the country to start outside of the top 100 at Ken Palm and secure an at-large bid to the NCAA tournament. This season started 36th at Ken Palm, and right now they're 17th, got a 13-1 record that includes a win over Auburn. Lone loss is a four-point loss at Wisconsin. Norlander, you taking the Wolfpack or the Tar Heels on Tuesday night? Um, I'll take the Tar Heels in what I think is going to be a quality game. NC State gets it on its home floor. I have had NC State in my power rankings the past two weeks. I've had them ahead of ahead of the Tar Heels. In fact, I, I, I'll take UNC, um, but I don't. <laughs> I don't have a ton of conviction with this. Um, but you know what? As little is, uh, is is showing more and more promise. Kobe White continues to be top ten, top twelve freshman in America. So, give me uh, give me the Tar Heels. I'm guessing though that you are going to take the home team. I'm going to take the home team. If we were playing this at the Dean Smith Center, I'd take North Carolina. But given that it's going to be in Raleigh, I'm going to take North Carolina uh, State. Plus, I, I, you know, I don't need North Carolina State fans on me. They're 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 a, a passionate uh, group. So I'm just going to I'm going to side with them uh, in this uh, in-state rivalry. I'll take North Carolina State over North Carolina on Tuesday night, and that'll be, um, I don't, you know. I think the game that really launches NC State into the national conversation. I know they've got that win over Auburn, but uh, beat North Carolina on national television, it resonates just a little different way. You beat North Carolina and improve to 14-1, um, it resonates in a, in a in a different way. Before we get out of here, let's offer football picks that will likely be wrong. Undefeated <laughs> Alabama against undefeated Clemson, 8 p.m. Eastern on Monday night. Alabama is like a six-point favorite. You taking the points or laying the points, Norlander? I'll get to that in a second. Who do you want to win this game? Who do I want, Alabama or Clemson? Yeah, who do you want to win? Alabama, because I like excellence and the 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 excellence of Nick Saban, you know, further solidifying himself as the greatest college football coach of all time. I, I root for that kind of stuff. It's the reason I root for Floyd Mayweather to win when he boxes, despite his personal shortcomings. It's why um, I root for UConn women. It's why I I I, I appreciate. It's why I root for Tom Brady in a Super Bowl. I, I appreciate excellence, and I think Nick Saban and Alabama best represent excellence. I would submit that I want Clemson to win because if you can get Dabo, who from what I gather is, is I, I guess, you know, set up and kind of wants to be coach at Clemson for life kind of deal. Um, if you can get him to win, I think they split. Then they, they they they've split it over the past four years, and that's a that's a cool little uh, back and forth between the two. It breaks up a little bit of the monotony of Alabama's dynasty, which you know I don't think Alabama losing on Monday night would would take away. I'd almost feel like if they won again, 
um, it would it would firmly say like of this of this era of this little run like Alabama came on top clearly they won more titles head to head they they beat Clemson more times than not and Clemson only got it when uh, when Deshaun was behind center but if you get a Clemson win um, it just I don't know it makes for more fun conversation the day after and then heading into next season and it gives Nick Saban a true foil. And somewhat unexpectedly, it gives him one outside of his league, which is the best league in the sport. So as for the pick, I will take Alabama to cover uh, and then obviously to win. Just would love that we get a close game and would love that we don't have a kicker missing a field goal as time expires. That's all I'm asking for. Give me a one possession game with four minutes to go. And, you know, as bad as it is for Cody Parkey and, you know, the sympathies I have for him. It's even worse when you're a college kid because you're not getting paid at that point. And right. college football fans are what they are. Like, you know, NFL fans are passionate and, you know, you can't really quantify one or the other. But what what those teams mean to those fan bases in that part of the country, forget about it. So, please, if we have this game come down to a kick, I don't care who it is. I just hope it goes through the uprights. How about, I, I'm totally on board with all of that. It's even worse for college kickers. As bad as the Cody Parkey thing is, at least he's rich. You know, (laughs) at least he's rich. Um, These college kickers, man, they might never make a penny uh, playing uh, professional football and be known for something terrible uh, for the rest of their lives. Like every time you meet somebody, particularly from the state in which you play. So like if you're an Alabama kicker and you miss the the equivalent of what we just saw in that Bears Eagles game, like in the state of Alabama, your name is synonymous with failure forever. Every time you meet somebody, they, you know, hey, I'm Gary, and you are, you tell them, oh, oh, are you the, it's just miserable. So I, I'll tell you this, I want Alabama to win the game, but if Clemson is down a point in the final seconds and Clemson's field goal kicker is put in the position to either win the game or lose the game, I will immediately start rooting for Clemson. Because I'm rooting for that young person. I don't want him to have to live with that for the rest of his life. I, 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 would, I, I think I remember doing this in an Ohio State-Michigan game a few years ago. Um, like I, I feel like one of the kickers just kept screwing up. And I found myself rooting for that team to win so that that young guy wouldn't have to live with that for the rest of his life. I don't really remember how it turned out. But I, I'm, I'm pro-kicker in the final seconds no matter who I'm rooting for in the opening quarter. So, yeah, let's play a football game, and let's let it come down to something other than a kicker needing to win it. But if it does come to that, let's just make sure the kicker does indeed win it. We don't need another Cody Parkey on our hands. I'll take Alabama to to cover, but I'm wrong about all of this stuff all the time, so who knows. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry, MF, and Teagle. He's a legend. Shouts to Ron Allen. Please go subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcasts. Rated favorably, five stars. Nice comments. That's all I've ever asked from you. To those of you who have done it already, we appreciate it. If you haven't done it already, we'd love it if you would. It just takes a few minutes. Either way, we're going to talk to you again on Wednesday morning. Till then, take care.